Singing Dutchman Productions. Hello and welcome to Doug's Front Porch, a podcast where I get to sit down with friends, old and new, and have honest conversations. Today I welcome Frank Rezik to the front porch, a dear friend going all the way back to college. Boy, that's getting farther and farther back in time. Frank, welcome to the front porch. Thank you, Doug. Your your porch looks eerily like my kitchen. I'm I'm just like, it's freaking me out a little bit. Yeah, uh, well, I modeled it uh, specifically for that look, Frank. Well, so that, it's a good look, I will say. You know, the the you know forty year old cabinets with the with the dust, my you know all that stuff on it. That's it's a good look, especially for a porch. Audience, I need to say this before we start. Frank has been my proverbial white whale on this show for quite a while. I reached whale out. Being uh, the operative term. No, 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 no. <laughs> Using the literary reference, of course, Mister Resnick. Um, <laughs> I've been wanting to have Frank as a guest on here for the longest time. And every time I'd ask him, he'd be like, I'm not going to do that. I don't know why you want to talk to me. No, I don't know. And then for whatever reason, I guess I just finally, he finally gave in. And uh, I'm just so <laughs> if glad. If I don't give said, in, you just keep asking. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, exactly. You're like um, the old woman who just keeps knocking on the judge's door. Like, that's right. That's right. You know, yeah. I can't kick you out anymore. Just do whatever. Go. go. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to talk about some of this stuff with you that I, that I want to talk about. But let's start at the very beginning. Uh, I like to have all my guests kind of introduce themselves themselves a little bit but i always like to say tell us a little bit about your childhood were you an only child uh where did you grow up that kind of stuff yes yes i was a child <laughs> um and i i in many ways i have not grown beyond that <laughs> we won't get into that you know too deeply but uh uh yeah you know i grew up in uh, western pa um on a small farm about 57 acres uh, you know, just a little family farm that my dad grew up on. Uh, grew up with mom and dad at home. Very important, right? Um, and four sisters and one brother I had growing up. So, and where did you fall in the hierarchy of the siblings? I was dead last. I am the baby. <laughs> so yeah. how, that's a that's yeah. a big that's a big family. Um, what's the difference in age between you and your oldest sibling? Twelve years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, was the farm that you grew up on, was it an active farm, like a dairy farm or anything? Yeah, like that? no, not dairy. That's too much work. We, uh, you know, we, we did the beef cow for, for the most part, you know, uh, had, had two chickens that, you know, we raised them in high school and I brought them home. I figured, Hey, you know, we have a farm. We might as well have a chicken. And uh, you know, somebody else lived in an apartment. So I got their chicken too. So, you know, uh, you know, other than that, we just had a bunch of stray cats and, uh, you know, the occasional dog. But so I, I was the oldest of two and you're the youngest of what you say, six, right? Six. Yeah. So by the time you came along, were your parents like uh, I'm done being parents and they kind of let you have the roam of the place or. Yeah. Well, you know, when I came along, I ended up having, you know, seven parents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there were uh, four years, there's four years between me and my, my next oldest sibling, and then three years between her and my brother. So, uh, you know, as, as far back as I can remember, I was just the spoiled brat that, you know, kind of always got his way, 
sorry, siblings. I'm, you know, not sorry, but <laughs> you know, it was a great life. You know, you have you have all that influence and. You know, it got me to love 70s and 80s music because I was never in charge of the radio. So, you know, I mean, that's just how it goes when you come from a big family. You know? So I have a since I came from a small family, I have a question that I've often thought about. So you had so many siblings and there was such an age difference. Were you able to build solid bonds and and and? not friendships, of course, but to a certain extent, I would think so. Like, was, were you able to do that as siblings, given your age differences and how many of them you had? Yeah, so it was a little different in my family. My my oldest sister actually went away to um, a Catholic school. Um, uh, what do you call it? Boarding school. And uh, so she left when she was in ninth grade. You know, what's that? She, so I was probably, you know, three, four years old when, when she left. So um, we, I didn't have a lot of time to bond with her when I was growing up. Uh, but the rest of the siblings were always around. You know, I mean, growing up on a small farm, the reason you have so many children is because, you know, on those extremely cold days, there's not much else to do, intent. Um, and, and you need people to work on the farm, right? Uh, you know, so I always tell everybody, my, my parents were older when they had me. Uh, and their parents were older when they had them. So I'm about, you know, two or three generations behind uh, where where the rest of my friends were, you know. So family has always been the center of everything we did. Um, the girls helped out outside, you know, bailing hay and and the boys helped out, you know, doing dishes. You know, it just there wasn't we didn't have chore charts. We didn't have you know, uh, a schedule of things that we had to do, uh, you know, dad was outside. So, you know, you wake up and you go help him. Right. <laughs> okay. So I always like to ask this question, uh, to people that grew up with the kind of, with a farm background in their, in their childhood, looking back on it now, what did that teach you as a person? Uh, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't say hard work, you know, um, you, you, you always, there's always something to do, you know, uh, coldest days of the year, you're cutting wood or, or getting a cow butchered, right? Um, hottest days of the year, you're bailing hay and, and uh, you know, treating the crops. So, you know, and, and I, I will be the first to admit that I was not a fan <laughs> when I was growing up. Uh, but as soon as I went away, boy, I, I, I don't know if I missed anything more. You know, there's, there's nothing... Uh, Nothing, nothing that compares to picking a, a cantaloupe or a watermelon out of the field, uh, cutting it open with the knife that you, you know, just did some chores with and, uh, you know, eating it right there. So, you know, those kind of things you miss and that, you know, you, you don't have that experience in any other kind of a family, you know, it's just, it's very unique in that way. All right, let's fast forward a little bit because you said your sister went away. Eventually, you grew up too, maybe not in maturity, but in age. No, 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 <laughs> and no. you decide to uh, go off to college and you went to Lock Haven. Um, I did. I, you know, I, I started actually at IUP. Um, okay. I, not a lot of people know that. I, I don't share that with everybody. <laughs> I guess I have now with the millions of subscribers you have. Uh, sorry, people. But, uh, you know. IUP was not the environment for me. That that was a different animal from from Lock Haven. You know, uh, it wasn't that much bigger when you really think about it. But but it was big enough that you didn't have those close relationships like we had at Lock Haven, right? 
Um, so when I transferred to Lockhaven, actually, it was uh, Sarah and her boyfriend at the time who who convinced me to, to uh, try to get out there. And uh, that was the best move I ever made. You know. So what did you study at Lockhaven? Uh, psychology. All right, so uh, why we have to I talk have, about that? We, we do because it, it'll transition Ow. to something else that I want to talk about. Uh, what? Why? Why psychology? You know, did um, did nineteen year old Frank know that? Like, this is something I'm interested in. Nineteen year old Frank didn't know how to spell psychology. Uh, no, I. You know what happened? It, it, I was at IUP, okay, um, and I went in undeclared because. I procrastinate in absolutely everything I do. Um, I'm not proud of that, but that is who I am. And so I'm proud of that, I guess. So, you know, whatever. So, you know, went in undeclared, took my first intro to psych class, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll just declare that as a major. <laughs> and there you go. That that's That's my meaningful, you know, journey into the psychology program in the last 22 years of my life <laughs> okay intro to psych sucked you in but at some point in those four years then you had to say to yourself this is something i do enjoy right i mean it's not yeah. like you're like oh i made this decision i'm stuck now because you weren't yeah you know it's it's a matter of um personality with with psych and any of the helping services really um you know, obviously listen to the podcast with Sarah and, and Mike, uh, they talked so much about, uh, you know, the relationships in their lives. Um, you know, psychology is a place where I can help people. Um, and, it, and a place where I felt like I could make a difference. Um, and maybe not have to work weekends. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I, I still get a charge out of being able to help people. You know, God gives us gifts and, you know, some people are given the gift of counsel and I, you know, I kind of have that now. I wouldn't say I had that after I, you know, left Lockhaven with the psych degree, you know, jumping in cold into the, into the mental health field. And you're like, what in the world is this? Well, I was going to, I wanted to ask you about that transition. So, I mean, when you graduated with that degree, what did Lockhaven prepare you for? Like, were you planning on using this degree to get into mental health services or like social work or how does, what's that look like that process? Yeah. So, you know, the, the most interesting courses that you take in a college program are, you know, uh, cognitive psych, you know, and, and uh, you know, child development and, and all these, you know, you have abnormal psych. Oh my gosh, all the stuff you talk about in there is just like, wow, cool. Well, they don't, they don't really tell you that all these cool cases that you're learning about, it's a case study. It's one person that has this disorder and you probably will never meet anyone with that disorder for the rest of your life, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so as far as what they prepared me for, um, they prepared me, you know, to be an ethical person, to work hard, um, you know, but what what college education doesn't, you know, I think and not saying anything bad about Lockhaven University, because I, I will cherish my time there and the and the professors I had in the psych department. Um, but the problem is, there's not enough talk about what the real world of mental health care is about. Um, 
you know, and, and to be honest, that has changed drastically uh, since 1999, 2000, when I started in the field, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's disgusting in a lot of ways. Um, other ways, it's just, it's, it's just hard to understand. Uh, it's hard to understand some concepts if you haven't lived it yourself, right? Um, and, and maybe, you know, maybe further in the interview, we'll get to more of that. But, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of times when, when you feel like you're failing. Um, and that could be when you're doing your best work. Right. Mm. So we can either talk about what you like your first couple jobs, or have you always been in the style of job that you're currently in now? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so ex explain well, to the audience what that is. Yeah, so I've always worked in children's mental health. So, you know, referrals come from doctor's offices, uh, other mental health agencies, schools, you know, anywhere, you know, even parents themselves. And, uh, you know, the most of the children's services outside of outpatient services are community-based, right? So you're meeting with them in their homes, but I have a I have a quick a quick question. So you as a as a as a as a, a mental health worker, are you working for a private company or are you working for, or how's that system like? So a doctor says, "Oh, I have Billy and Billy needs counseling." You know, he turns that slip over to who? Is it private industry? Is it uh, county services or a mix of both or what is it? Uh, for for the most part, the majority of of the services that are out there now are funded through medical assistance programs. Um, you know, so through through state money, federal money, uh, which, you know, they pass down their own set of regulations that goes with it, you know. Um, so most for the most of my career, that's where I've been working is in the mental or medical assistance fields, the programs. Uh, for 16, almost 17 of those years, I worked in family based, which is you know, very family focused and we'll talk about that more later too. But, um, you know, the, the field out there, the, um, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, job I'm doing now is working with kids involved with children, youth and uh, juvenile probation. So it's not medical assistance funded, it's county funded. Um, and it's, it's actually a little bit simpler here. Um, you're not dealing with a ton of insurance companies and managed care and things like that uh, as much as you are just dealing with, um, you know, the county agencies, you know, the probation officer, the, you know, children, youth caseworker, things like that. So, okay. So walk me through the process. You get told, okay, you're going to work with Billy. Uh, and some doctor says, I think Billy has some issues. So you, you get this folder on Billy, I guess, and then you meet with Billy uh, and your job then is to figure out exactly, you know, what's going on first, right? And then somehow treat that. Am, am I wrong in that? Or what's that process look yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it, it, each case is so individual. You know, every every family finds themselves in different situations for a variety of reasons. I, I stopped telling myself a long time ago that I've seen everything in the book because <laughs> inevitably... Something comes up and you're like, I cannot believe I just heard that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but but yeah, you know, when I get a referral, it's usually a matter of I will use that referral as a starting point. 
you know, something to generate conversation between me and the family. And then you have to work where they are. You know, you, you can't, you can't go in all cocky and thinking that, Hey, you know what? I've been in the field 22 years and you're going to have to listen to me because otherwise you're going to end up in prison. You're going to end up, you know, in placement somewhere. Uh, you know, and a lot of times people aren't ready. Um, and, you know, I say that with the thinking that I'm not there to give up, <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's my place to help them become ready, right? Um, maybe I'm the, not the best therapist to help them through the issues that they're having at the moment, but uh, maybe I'm the person that will help them to trust the system at least a little bit so they can, um, you know, open some doors for people who can help them. So, so in your 16, 20 years of, of, of experience, what are some tricks that you've learned to, to help you break the ice, let's say, with somebody that just doesn't want to talk, doesn't, yeah, doesn't yeah. even want to look at you? Yeah. How do you, how do you handle that situation? You know what? There aren't, there aren't any tricks, man. I'll tell you right now, there are no tricks. Uh, you have to be genuine. You know, you, you have to know who you are and uh, you know, and be the person that you, that God created you to be, because if you're trying to, you know, sort through who you are at the same time that you're trying to help someone else figure out who they are, uh, believe me, that, that's like pouring two different kinds of cereal in a bowl and trying to just eat the one you want. You know, it's it's impossible. You know, you you end up, uh, you know, getting so confused about who you want to be and and uh, you know the strengths that you have or the weaknesses you have that you're you 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 end up disregarding, you know, the individual sitting in front of you. So so the first first thing in any it, with any therapy is to develop a relationship. You know, um, you know, not a personal relationship, obviously, but a therapeutic relationship. You know, you have to find out. What is important to these people? What do they want for themselves? And can I help them get that? You know, um, if they know that you're there trying to help them and working for them, and you're not just trying to check off a bunch of boxes because your boss told you you had to, um, they know that. They'll, they'll feel that. And most of the time, you'll find that, yeah, they're going to come around. Sometimes not, but... <laughs> You know, I was going to ask, have you been in situations where you just weren't able to make that that connection and it just was it just wasn't possible? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, I I always have to fall back on the fact that I am doing what I know is best, what what I know um, will help people to understand that I am here to help, um, you know, it, <laughs> it just kind of popped into my mind. What was that show from the 80s where that guy said? Uh, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm here to help. <laughs> I'm here to help you. You remember that guy? He was like Native American or something. I don't know what he was, but anyway. Um, but, but you know, that, that's what you want. That's what you want people to feel. If they feel like they are being helped and they're, they're benefiting from what you have to offer, you won't have any problems. Um, but, but, you know, you have some people who are, who have been traumatized so badly in the past, um, uh, not just by family members or, or you know other other agencies, you know even strangers, but by the system itself, you know uh, that that they have a very hard time trusting anyone coming to them and saying I'm here to help, right? Um, if you've been traumatized by someone, you, the chances of you opening up to that person and being vulnerable again, 
pretty slim, <laughs> you know, I've been in that situation myself, you know, um, and every time, every time you start with somebody, you have to consider that, you have to consider what they've been through um, to understand why they're behaving the way they are. So I, I, I don't know if you heard the episode where I interviewed one of my, uh, well, my pastor, well, he was my pastor, he's currently moved on to another job, but, uh, and I asked him how he you know, deals with these heavy issues, like with the death of, of congregants or people that are sick and constantly doing it and how he is, how does he function being in that world, but then also having his own life, you know, outside of that world. So I have to mm -hmm. ask the same question to you, because you, you are dealing with really heavy, heavy stuff day yeah. in and day out. How mm -hmm. do you separate yourself from that at the end of the day when you, you know, you, you get home and you put your Mr. Rogers sweater on and you're like, ah, like, how do you do that? Uh, well, I'd be lying to you if I told you I never, it never affected me. Um, and I told myself a long time ago, you know, if this stuff stops affecting me, then I know I have to get out. Um, you know, when you hear about child abuse and, and, you know, sexual abuse and all that stuff that, that for many people, they go through their entire lives, never having to have any conversations about it. And, and God bless them for, for being in that situation that they're able to do that. But, you know, when I hear about it, it still makes me sick to my stomach, you know? Um, so, so I know that, that it hasn't, the, the system hasn't affected me to that extent <laughs> that it's, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Desensitized me to, you know, things that happen. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it's falling back on family. You know, I, I don't live on the farm anymore. I live in a, you know, a suburb of Harrisburg and Mechanicsburg. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a small town, very peaceful. Um, but I have my kids and, and, you know, my family that I, that I lean on. I mean, my goodness, I, you know, obviously not talking specifics with, with any of my family members, but I'll tell you what, when I have a bad day, I'm, I call mom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just hearing mom's voice, you know, put you, put you in this state of, yeah, you know what, I can handle this. I can do this. You know, so. So anyone that follows the news uh, probably has heard the statement that mental health among the youth in America right now is, is, is really bad. So given your experiences, is that statement true or is that blown out of proportion? <laughs> I'll, 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 Moving I'll, on. <laughs> okay so no, um no. i'll, I'll, I'll say from, well I'll, let me let me add this um when i look at my profession public education right now the yeah. last two years the last three years have been of course whatever you insert whatever word you want there um but the one thing that i'm noticing my colleagues are noticing and not just at the school where i teach at but friends of mine that teach in other districts all over the country we, we all keep saying the same thing about the kids that we're currently teaching um they have there's a lot of mental health issues whether it's the the nor the, the quote-unquote normal stuff of anxiety or de depression i mean they shouldn't be normal but i mean they they are terms now that we just constantly use throw around because there's so many people yeah. affected by these things um but we also see this last year particularly we've had a huge issue with students that uh are aggressive both physically and verbally where to a percentage where we've never seen before you know there's always been those kids that would fly off the handles or a kid that would tell you off but that was usually like one out of i don't know three classes 
but that's that percentage is completely completely upended right now so that's what i'm seeing in you know in in the classroom day in and day out now from your perspective as someone that works in the profession uh what are you seeing you know what i'm seeing is is the world is getting accustomed to hearing all the terms of mental health you know what i mean um when we talked about depression 20 years ago, um, it meant you were sad. <laughs> maybe there was a specific reason why you were sad. Uh, maybe you have a lot of trouble getting motivated when you're sad. Um, but for the most part, we understood that as sad, right? Um, now, you know, progressively every year, every year, the terms that we use in the field are being adopted by every other agency. Um, you know, uh, uh, juvenile probation officers, right? They're trained in uh, justice systems. They're trained in, you know, how to, how to help people acclimate to, you know, being in society and being safe. They're throwing around mental health terms, like, you know, like, like it's, like it's truly part of what they do. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, but, but, they also need to be careful <laughs> that they're not using these things as an as an excuse or or at least setting them up as excuses for children in our society um you know th- th- we have such immediate access to everything especially the youth um they they can get online they can look up any term they want online and find 25 youtube videos of morons who know absolutely nothing about it <laughs> You know, and and uh, that sometimes ends up being the gospel truth to them. Um, so when that happens, you know, you start to see people actually living out what they have found information for themselves. You know what I mean? It, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm feeling this way. I'm typing this into my computer because I'm feeling this way. I want to I want a quick fix for it. Um, oh, uh, I have social anxiety. Oh, my goodness. You know, maybe that's a bad one after the past two years, but. Um, you know, I have depression, I have, I have ADHD, I have, you know, all these, all these things that, you know, I'm not saying these kids don't have these diagnoses, but if you take a child to a psychiatrist, the chances of them coming out with a diagnosis is extremely high. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, whereas if you take that same child and you, uh, you, really buckle down on your parenting, you develop your relationship with them, you have conversations about what they're struggling with, you build a, a plan around how to help them through this thing, parenting, right? <laughs> uh, you might not have to take that child to a psychiatrist, which means that the child never gets a diagnosis, but still deals with the problem that they were having, right? It's so crazy because you said exactly what I I had a conversation with my seniors this year uh, here towards the end of the year about some of this stuff because I was reading all these articles about, oh, teen mental health and mental health issues. And I had a group of really good kids in front of me coming from, you know, 
good homes. They weren't coming from the broken homes. They were coming from uh, educated homes. And these were, yeah. you know, these were the kids that were successful. You know, they were good at school. They were good at sports, etc. And they were completely open and honest with me. And some of the stuff they told me just blew me away in the yeah. fact that the vast majority of them uh, had felt some level of depression or anxiety. Now, they might not be using the term correctly like you like you just talked about, but th they at least connected with those emotions. And we were talking and I said, uh, I don't know how it came up, but the one kid said, I just wish my parents would actually listen to me or ask about me. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't call it out, but I was like, oh, really? And then a bunch of the other kids were like, yeah, me too. All of a sudden, like the hands went up like, amen. Uh, and that yeah. really blew me away coming from kids that come from a good family or, you know, relatively good family backgrounds. And then I think about the majority of the kids in my school that are coming from really, really bad broken backgrounds yeah. if if the if yeah. the good parents quote unquote aren't listening to their kids or engaging with their own children what in god's name are the you know the broken homes going through yeah. what are those kids yeah. going through right and and what you what you tend to run into um i'm not i'm not sure i'm not exactly sure of like the population you're working with in in uh, lock haven there but um you know out here, I have clients that are deep in the woods uh, who, you know, have have an hour and a half bus ride to school in the morning. Um, but I also have Dauphin County, which is the heart of, you know, Harrisburg. Uh, so, you know, it kind of runs the gamut out here, and, and both within 10 minutes of me, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so you really have to consider where are these kids coming from, right? Um, not every behavior that you see uh, has to be attributed to a diagnosis. Sometimes that's just the way they learned how to do it uh, because that's what mom and dad do or that's what my uncle does. Um, I've never seen it done any other way. I mean, if they could actually speak about the behaviors they're using, you know, and, and yet we're so quick to, um, you know, dole out consequences without having, the con without having the conversation about why did you do it in the first place, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying don't give consequences. Yes, behaviors have consequences. Every single behavior has a consequence. Whether it's good or bad, you choose that. But if you learn to do that a bad way and you don't listen to the people around you who are telling you that you know you probably shouldn't have learned it that way, then you'd need to start listening to some of that stuff. You know, if you keep getting in trouble for the same thing, but that's a normal behavior for you, speak up. Tell somebody, <laughs> you know, but also people in my position need to be need to be asking those questions. Where did you learn that behavior? Because if it's the person sitting next to you, uh, then we need to have a conversation about that, <laughs> right? Um, and and we don't need another label on it. Uh, we need to we need a solution. We need to look forward to uh, how we can help you correct this because that's not going to help you in society, right? All right, look in your crystal ball. Do you see things getting better or, or worse? Uh, you know, I, you, uh, in, it, it, oh gosh. <laughs> I, I have to look individually. I, I cannot look beyond the person that's sitting in front of me. You know, if I can help them get one step closer to being successful, um, I consider that a good day. <laughs> well, do, do you see? Oh, that, that sure. Do you see that you're having more? Like, there's more work. Like, there's more people being referred. 
than in the past or is it have the numbers yeah. stayed pretty much the same i would i would say that and, and the only reason i would say that though is because we we have more children's mental health programs in this state than almost anywhere in the country i mean we have a ton of different services um from from birth to you know 21 years old depending on the diagnosis uh, so and if those services are always full <laughs> and they're constantly creating new programs, new techniques to use, new, new this, new that, yeah, there's a problem with that, right? Um, like I said, you can't attribute every single behavior to a mental health diagnosis. Why in the world would you do that? Well, what, you know? but that seems to be the knee-jerk reaction this, these days, especially from the from my world in education. Kids are coming with labels all the time, and I yeah. think to myself, I get the folder for you know, go back to Billy. Billy's in my class. I get that folder at the beginning of the year that has his either his IEP or his 504 plan, and it specifically spills out all of the things that's wrong with Billy. What I'm supposed to do legally as a teacher to make sure that Billy's needs are getting met, and yeah. I read some of these, and some of these kids are coming with a laundry list a mile long and i think to myself and these are kids i haven't met yet these are brand new students to me so i'm, I'm this right. i see this paper in this list first before i ever get to meet the kid because right. i got to make sure that i'm ready for you know legally oh i got to have large print you know large print handouts for this kid or this kid i have to read everything to or this kid i have to etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah. um when i actually start working with most of these kids and i'm gonna be perfectly honest maybe Maybe it's just the, the environment I create. I don't know. But when I start working with a lot of these kids and I actually get to know them, the vast majority of the things that are in that file, they don't, they're not exhibiting any of that stuff. No, no. And, and you know what that's a testament of is the relationship that you're able to build with them. Um, but, but that's the cornerstone of therapy. <laughs> that, that is really, you cannot, you cannot do therapy. I am just convinced that you cannot do therapy without talking about the relationships that the child has in their life. Now, this is coming from a child therapist, right? Like I'm not, not talking about like, like adult therapy. I haven't done that, but it, it has to be the same. We're, we're not hermits. <laughs> we interact with people all the time, even if it's just online. Um, you know, social anxiety disorders are going through the roof right now. Um, you know, but if you have resources around you, people that do listen, people that aren't trying to fix everything for you, but they're there to listen and just to help you think, um, you know, you, you people have the ability to fix these things themselves. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, kids with autism spectrum disorder or, you know, Down syndrome, That that's that's a different thing. That, that 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 is a real problem <laughs> and yes we need all the services we can get for those 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 people you know into adulthood there's even fewer services for them in adulthood but um you know all these diagnoses that the kids are coming down with school-aged kids um i i feel everything is just overdiagnosed. you know that every, everybody needs a reason for the for the behavior other than bad parenting. I just learned it from somebody that way. I just wanted it and I didn't want to ask for it. So I took it, you know, so, so how did we get to this place? 
Well, it's it's a lack of accountability. I for me, I mean that for me, that's what it now. Look, I'm not saying every single case, okay. Um, I'm not I'm not saying there should be no diagnoses. Obviously, there should. Um, at least to have, uh, you know, some kind of means to know what you're treating and maybe where some of these, this thinking is coming from. But if you're not thinking about the individual, you're missing the point <laughs> of, of therapy. Uh, you know, but <laughs> I, I really do feel that in our society now, we need a reason for everything we see. Uh, we need a reason why my son has that behavior uh, before I can help him with it. <laughs> you know, uh, I've, I've literally had parents on the very first day that I, that I met them say, uh, you know, my son doesn't ever listen to me at all. And yet how many times do I sit through sessions and watch that parent not interact with, with that child at all, right? Um, they're more interested in how I can help them punish the child better than they are in how I can help them build a stronger relationship. Because building a stronger relationship takes work too. <laughs> you know, um, if, if you're throwing around punishments, you can at least complain that the child did not follow through with the punishment. Um, but if you're trying good things and the child isn't, isn't coming around, um, yeah, now we have a, a true problem. You know, there's, there is some kind of disconnect there that there needs to be some therapy going on usually some kind of past trauma, something, you know, neglect or whatever, you know, I'm not saying like majorly, but something has been disconnected in, in that relationship that should be stronger than any relationship you ever have with the rest of your life, parent to child, right? Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like, you know, we're always looking for excuses for behavior. We're not spending enough time just getting to know each other um, on a personal level. Really, within families is what I'm saying, not, not therapist to child. I mean, that's important too, but you know, the therapy that I do always involves the family because I can leave any time and I'm only there a couple times a week. Like I can't, you know, a couple hours a week, what do you want me to do? You know, you still have to do all this work. I'm not here to fix anything. I'm here to help you guys to get to a point that, that you should have been a long time ago, right? Yeah. My other big fear with all of this too is that so many kids are over medicated as well, and I think that's a that's a byproduct of of this whole conversation we've just been having. Yeah. That that scares me long term when I think about there are some kids I've had in school that have they've been on ADHD medicine their whole life, and and maybe they don't even have ADHD. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that stuff that stuff does scare me a little bit for sure. Well, well, you know better than me. Um the limitations that a school has on what they can do when behaviors do come up. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying we should go back to when I was growing up, when, you know, my third grade teacher had the paddle, his name was walnuts, you know, I mean, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to condone violence to correct a violent behavior, <laughs> you know, but you know, we're, we're missing the point if we're if we're thinking that a medication is going to fix anything. Um, now, I will say most of the psychiatrists I work with tell people this is not a fix. You know, this is to help you to be able to work with this guy, you know, this this therapist over here. You know, um, this is to help you to be able to spend more time with your parents without fighting. Right. Um I, I don't think that's said enough. I, I know the, the psychiatrists that I work with typically are saying that, but 
Um, but yeah, you're right. I think it, there is an over-medication issue. Um, there's not enough, uh, you know, monitoring of the medications for sure. Uh, you know, some of the kids I work with only see their psychiatrist every three months, you know, uh, for 15 minute, you know, medication review. And almost all of that report comes from the parent. Well, if you've done nothing in that three months to improve, improve your relationship between that, you know, mother and son, you know, father and daughter, guess what? Those behaviors are still going to be there because the child needs those behaviors to protect themselves, um, you know, from whatever's happening sometimes, you know, um, they can't verbalize that all the time, but, you know, some of these behaviors truly are a means for them to protect themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad when you get into situations where that hasn't been discussed, you know, um, I see a behavior, oh, there must be a medication for that, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what have I been doing for 22 years? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you try to have these discussions, but if the magic fix is a, is a pill that you can take at eight o'clock every day, um, hey, why hasn't it worked for 15 years? You know, now they're 16 years old. You still have no relationship with them. Guess what? It'd be a little tough <laughs> to rebuild 16 years of relationship when you haven't worked on it. Right. All right. Two last shop questions for you. Question number one, what are we not doing well in regards to all of, you know, everything we've been talking about? And you could talk about it from like society's aspect or the Commonwealth's aspect or whatever. But what aren't we doing well? I think I think taking the emphasis off of the family has has had horrible repercussions for for our society as a whole. I, I mean, and I don't care what neighborhood I'm going into. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can walk in the door and not even sit down and be able to identify five things, <laughs> you know, that should have at least been brought up, you know, in the past 15 years um, that haven't, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is coming from somebody who, who, who has, who lives in a broken home now, you know that, and I'm not, we're, we're not going to get into that, but, you know, when you, um, the, <laughs> when you become a parent, those children are your motivation. They, they are the reason that you do everything that you do. Um, they're the reason you go to work. They're the reason that you sacrifice uh, you know, they're, they're the reason why you haven't been on a vacation for six months or, or six years or, you know, a decade. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not an option. You know, too many people think that parenting is an option that they can give away to someone else. And it's just not. Um, the influence that a parent has on a child has to be there for that child to develop correctly. And, and, and when it's not, it's just so obvious sometimes what's missing, um, you know, and, and then once you throw all the behaviors in that come up from, from those kind of situations, you're, you're almost putting out fires all the time and, and struggling to get to that point where you can say, Hey, when's the last time you guys ate a meal together? When's the last time you celebrated a birthday? When's is the last time you went bowling or fishing or, or 
played a board game? You know, have you guys played cards together? I mean, I don't care what it is, <laughs> you know, especially with the younger kids, with, you know, kids that are three, four, five years old. And I have had several clients that are three, four, five years old telling me that they are behavior problems. What? Of course, they're behavior problems. They're three, four, and five years old. <laughs> but it's not a problem, right? This is not a problem. The problem is we need to put our energy back into raising our children the way that we want them to live. Let them know what our values are because they are so important to us. And if we don't have a connection to who we are, where we came from, the people that we love, why would we make any positive changes whatsoever? It makes no sense to me. So, so again, you know, talking about the, the process of therapy without talking about how you're rebuilding relationships and, you know, trying to uh, build more attachment between parents and children and siblings, it just can't be done. You, you can't do therapy that way. I'm sorry. What are we doing right? What are we doing right as far as mental health? Sure. Yeah. What are we doing um, right? Or what yeah, are we doing well? I, I think there are a lot of people out there that that do understand this. Um, I've, I've always been surrounded by um, more people than not who have that type of thinking. Um, you know, the, the <laughs> I remember funny story. I remember being in one of the offices that I worked in. We were in a staff meeting and somebody had done the Myers-Briggs test. I'm sure you've seen that, like everybody's seen that. So you, you, you end up with this four letter uh, code kind of about your personality, right? Well, it's always surprising to people. Wow, that's very accurate, you know? And I agree. I think the Myers-Briggs is a, is a very interesting tool to use just to generate conversation most of the time. Um, so it was funny. There were uh, eight people in this office all took the same exact test they all came out with the same exact four letters. Now, what's that tell you? It tells you one, that's a pretty, that's a pretty accurate test, right? That's a good test of the test. <laughs> but two, there's a certain type of people that get into mental health, right? Um, there are a lot of people out there who, who unfortunately get into mental health to solve their own problems. That, that is a huge issue <laughs> and one that, that shouldn't, that it shouldn't even pass the interview process. Um, and then once it's in, you know, once, once these people do get into the, the service of, you know, being able to serve other people, there has to be some kind of process to help them with their own issues, right? Um, and yeah, you got the employee assistance program. Great. Take these three sessions right here and figure out, you know, the last 28 years of problems that you've had. And then when the new year comes, you can have three more sessions, <laughs> right? Um, so, so yeah, that's a problem. But I will say, you know, the people that get into the service, they want to help people, you know, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've been through, they want to serve other people. They want to see people be successful. And, you know, to be honest, there's never been a lack of people <laughs> wanting to fill these positions, knowing that the pay is horrible knowing that there's so much stress that sometimes you just have to take three days off, um, you know, knowing that uh, there's unfortunately not a lot of support and not a lot of great training that, that agencies will, will open their wallets for, um, you know, 
So, but, but they're good people, you know, good people with all different kinds of backgrounds who, uh, you know, want to see people succeed. So yeah, that's, that's a good thing. They're still attracting good people. Well, I think from the, from the outside perspective that I come from, I think one thing that I've noticed is a huge difference in that I think is, I think is a positive. You could correct me if I'm wrong, is that over the last, oh, I'd say last five years plus, it's at least we're talking more about this than we've ever talked about it before as a society. Um, it, it, I would hope that that is a good thing that we're, that we're bringing more attention to it, that hopefully that also equates to more funding, more programs. I don't know. Um, but I mean, when we were kids, nobody talked about this stuff, you know, it was still that, it was that old Victorian era, uh, mentality that you, you, you sent those people away or no. you just, you did, that was something a family never talked about. So mm -hmm. I think in that sense, maybe we've, we've made some progress as a society. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we have a heck of a long way to go, but yeah. Yeah. I, that, that is a good thing. Um, if you use it the right way. Right. Uh, unfortunately, again, going back to what I said before, if you're, if you're using that to make excuses for the behavior and then not give out any consequences for recurring behaviors that are detrimental to, you know, the person and their family and, you know, society as a whole, that's a problem because then you're creating a monster, <laughs> you know, you're, you're giving someone, you know, the, uh, just giving them a green light to go out and, and have, you know, continue doing these behaviors, regardless of who it's hurting, because, because I have on a piece of paper that, you know, I have trouble controlling this, you know, that's the key though, you know, you have trouble controlling this doesn't mean you, it's impossible for you to control it. You know, there, there has to be some system to help these people get the services they need and not wait so long <laughs> you know to get them um you know what one one big problem is there are a ton of children's services in this state but once you hit 18 there is very little out there uh outpatient outpatient services big biggest problem with now hey look <laughs> there, there are a lot of people making you know doing extremely well with a weekly outpatient session, right? Um, and that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad they have that support. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it's, it's extremely easy to switch up outpatient therapists, right? It's a matter of not showing up at the one that you were going to and calling another one and saying, when's your next opening? I mean, really, that's it. You don't need referrals from anybody else. You're like nothing else. Um, so, so what a lot of people end up doing is they, they uh, psychiatrist or psychologist hop, <laughs> you know, uh, this one really frustrated me. Um, and I, I didn't like that. So I'm going to go over to this one, right? Uh, this one is completely off the mark. I, I, I would never struggle with that, but no way. Um, this one validated everything that I have been complaining about. And they haven't blamed me because of all these, you know, horrible behaviors I'm doing. Uh, there's no consequence. You see what I mean? You know, you're, you're, you're enabling to, to keep a client. <laughs> and, and that's bad. I'm not saying that that has is everywhere. But unfortunately, it does happen. You know, if somebody doesn't like what they hear, they're going to go find somebody else who's going to tell them what they do want to hear. So Frank, this has been enlightening, uh, and I hope that the audience gets something out of it, because I think all too often we just hear these, you know, someone that's not in the field, 
you hear this stuff, you see an article, oh, you know, mental health is on the rise or ADHD, or we hear these terms or phrases and the vast majority of Americans have, have no idea. And why would they, you know, it's, but you know, with your, your job and, and I wouldn't know it either if I didn't work in the job that I work in. Right. Um, but everything you said, I mean, I'm just here shaking my head the whole time because I see, and I hear my kids talk. I hear students of mine talk about, oh, tonight I have, I, 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 I visit, uh, I have my therapy appointment today, you know, after school. And I think to myself, you're in therapy? Wow. You know, here's this kid that seems, seems really like, you know, I wouldn't have expected that, I should say. But I, I, I hear that often. I, the number of kids I have in my classrooms that are either, you know, actively engaged with a, in therapy or something along those lines. It's really, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what, you know, and sometimes I feel like I need to apologize for speaking so negatively about the system that has supported me for 22 years. Um, But there, you know, and I, I should say there is great benefit in it, you know, Um, but, you know, there are just so many situations that can derail a therapy, you know, whether on the therapist side or the patient side. Um, working with families can be so confusing because you're not just trying to help the individual you referred for, you're trying to help everyone to make positive changes so they can support each other. Um, so, so there is, you know, there are a lot of models out there where you can, you know, do very specific things to help people make progress. There's, uh, you know, all the way down to, you know, just sitting and talking, you know, and, uh, you know, if you don't think there's one out there for you, think again, because it's out there somewhere, you know. So. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for the work that you do. And I'm sure you've, you know, over the years, you've you've affected so many lives and families. And from society's aspect, I just want to give you a big hug and say thank you for doing the work that you're doing, because there's a it's not it's like you said earlier, it's a job that is for a certain type of person. And uh mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that maybe think they want to do it and start out as social work majors in college or, you know, in psychology. And then they find out really quickly that this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and it's tough no. and it's hard. And it is so, not. I mean, to, to, to have lasted as long as you have says a lot about you. And still that you're able to, whenever we talk, laugh and, and joke around. I mean, that also says something about the person that you are and how you've been able to mm-hmm. handle all of this. Because that's, wow. I mean, it's, yeah, I, me I applaud you. well Well, frank you listen to the podcast you know what's coming next uh we end every episode the same way you're getting your 10 quick questions are you ready yeah i i've been studying you've been studying yes i I did i i i I didn't write anything down so you but i but you're ready all right (sighs) okay i'm ready all right question number one what is your morning drink of choice uh, fresh ground coffee in uh, French press, uh, half and half, and way too much sugar for any human being. <laughs> I yeah. like French press too. I, I do. Yeah, it's, it's stronger. You know, you get more of the oils in there. You know, especially with the fresh ground. You know, and Guatemalan is always the best. Medium to medium to dark roast. Where are you, where are you getting your beans, Frank? Holy cow! I'm telling you, when you fresh grind and use a French press, you could buy beans <laughs> off the guy you know living next door. You know, with with some kind of funky little greenhouse in the backyard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> so uh, I haven't I have not had those beans, but uh, you know Aldi's. I, I get most of my coffee at Aldi's these days. You know, but there you go. 
hey, you know, two cups last me, you know, at least until 1030. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then I got to find myself a loaf of bread. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, this is, uh, this is going to be a great answer. I think number two, who is a go-to musical artist or group for you? So before uh, before you, you answer, uh, before you answer, I didn't tell. I mean, I I hinted that we've known each other through college, since college, which we do, and we met at college. But we met through the choir program. We sang. Yeah. Frank and I sang together with some previous guests on the podcast, Mike, uh, Mike Connor, and and Sarah Mall. Uh, and uh, so music is our connection. You yeah. and me. I mean, that's how we got to yeah. know each other. So, and and you are a extre- audience. I'm telling you, extremely, extremely talented singer. Frank is a he's <laughs> he's got it. He's got the oh, gift. We'll just say thank that. Thank you very much. So, when Frank needs to unwind and put on some music, what uh, what's a group you you gravitate towards? You know, I I I always go to Michael Bublé. Or Billy Joel, or uh, Ben Folds, you know, like I, what I need, okay, this is what I need. What I need is someone who can sing on pitch. Um, There was a trend back in the 90s where every song that came out, it was just the in thing to sing off key. You want to guess when I stopped listening to the stinking radio? I mean, that hurt me so deeply. <laughs> I can't tell you how hard that was to deal with. But, you know, I, I just I just need something that I can sing along to and and hum when I'm when I'm not listening to it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I had a long drive yesterday with my daughter. She fell asleep and I was uh, I, I, I put on uh, Michael Buble and, and she wakes up and she goes, this again <laughs> i'm like sorry babe <laughs> i don't buy a lot of music so uh <laughs> that's yeah. a good answer, it's a good I, answer. I need i need some i need somebody who can sing yes that's it all right number three what movie can you watch over and over again and it never gets old okay so uh, clue okay yeah, you got clue. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, I knew you'd know them because you like all the old actors, and and they're that's loaded. What's well, a good uh, film? It's a really a, good a, film. Another one, Sneakers. Have you seen Sneakers? Yes, I have. Dude, again, Sidney Poitier, Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, come on, you get a cast <laughs> like that, you cannot have a bad movie. You know. Um, uh, what's another one? Okay, this one doesn't have a lot of great actors, but I have probably watched it a hundred times. Down Periscope. Don't tell me you have. No, seen I know, it. I know the movie. I'm just trying to think. It, Who, who's it, in it? It has uh, um, Fra- who played Frazier? Uh, oh, um, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer, yeah, Kelsey Grammer is a, a, a sub captain, right? And just the misfit crew that that you'd ever see. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious! I can't, <laughs> that movie. My kids are so sick of that movie. <laughs> So if it's not down Periscope, it's Michael Bublé, right? That's, that's yeah, well, you know. What are you going to do? Sounds good. All right. Number four. What is the last thing that you read? Uh, a Clive Cussler book, actually. Um, actually, was it Clive Cussler? <laughs> now that I think about it, it might not have been Clive Cussler. Uh, 
No, I'm pretty sure it was Clive Cussler. Um, you know, I, I collect Clive Cussler books. I'm, I'm not, so I'm not familiar with him. So he's what? just adventure fiction, you know? Okay. So think, think Tom Clancy or uh, Dan Patterson, you know, those kind of like really, you know, suspenseful action kind of oriented things. Um, but without all the confusing details. <laughs> Clive Cussler just does simple adventure fiction, great character development, and and it's just you know something that you know you find yourself three hours later and you're like oh crap I didn't do the dishes again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, Clive Cussler, yeah, he's a, he's a good go-to. Sounds good. Uh, number five, what's your favorite pizza topping? The meats, dude. <laughs> Is was is that even a question? Like I I can't. You really ask me that. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. Out of the meats, is there right. one in particular that you really like? <laughs> like oh, if you're in a right. restaurant, you're you're in a restaurant, and they're like, you can only choose one meat. Sorry, man. Yeah. What's it gonna true. What's it gonna um, be? You know what? I I I I like the Canadian bacon that they have at Papa John's, um, and of course the garlic sauce doesn't help, but um, doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not picky about the meats. I, I'm, I like the meat. I like the meat. You, you throw some scrapple on top of pizza. I'm eating it. I'm eating it. Yeah. I think we got to work will say on though, I got to tell you though, best pizza in the world comes from back home. And Sarah, Sarah Mole, you listen to this pizza, Joe's poor man's pizza with banana peppers, poor man, no sauce, just like a garlic oil with really good mozzarella on a thick uh crust oh <laughs> dude every time i go home i i end up driving through mercer to get back on interstate 80 and i'm picking up three nine cut poor man's pizzas <laughs> just to throw in the back seat because pizza is really good <laughs> all right number six laying on the beach or going for a hike Oh, dude. Uh, do I have to be in a speedo on the beach, or? Oh, no, no, you don't have to. Especially if you're there, right? <laughs> um, if I'm there, then you are in the speedo, and we'll we'll be speedo okay. buddies. See, okay, here's 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 my thing. I'm not a big hiker. Don't know if you know that. Probably, I mean, you see me, so you you know I'm not a big hiker. Um, I. I okay sharks love fat people okay so swimming in the ocean is not something i want to do uh, i am very crunchy and tender at the same time so you know and I, I, there are just too many creatures in the ocean for me i can't do it and the undertow that loves me too you know i'm gonna hit get hit by a submarine whatever i like i don't care what it is i'm not going in the ocean so laying on the beach okay i like the breeze you know rainstorms are nice but I'm not hiking either. You now, you give me a helicopter ride up to a cabin in the mountains. Yes, that's that's me. That, that's that's where okay. I'm going. That's fine. That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thanks. You have invited me over for dinner. What are you making? One of the poor man's pizzas from the back seat of the car. <laughs> <laughs> if I have any left, I'm making you try it, man. That's good stuff. I would try it. Absolutely. Yeah, just one piece, though. Most of it's for me. Um, <laughs> No, you know what I'm making? I'm making a uh, good Slovenian sausage, uh, which which is sausage that 
you know, had some kind of love affair with garlic and smoke. It is like the ultimate garlic smoke sausage, right? Um, uh, and probably some halushki. Uh, I'm sure you know what that is, you know, homemade noodles and cabbage with way too much butter. Um, you know, and that actually is one I got from my mother-in-law years, years ago. That's a, that's a good, uh, and the sausage I have to go out to Cleveland for. So give me a couple days before you come out for that, that dinner. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's quite a trip, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, jello salad green jello salad with cabbage is will be on the menu with with a layer of mayonnaise on top because you know when you grow up during the depression like my parents did that's what you eat i'm game for anything frank uh, the sausage yeah. the sausage does sound really good though well, yeah, I, and yeah. a halushki, i like halushki i've eaten yeah. a lot that, that sausage you'll taste for a week i mean that's you know. then you know it's good sausage right, yeah, that's right. That's right. all right <laughs> frank what's a dream vacation destination of yours uh, you know what I, uh, hmm. you know we, uh, um, <laughs> I want to go to Slovenia. Yeah. yeah, that's where that's where both my mom and dad's families were from. Uh, we still have cousins over there. Um, I always say I want to go. I know it's really not that expensive to go, but I, 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 yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just never. Yeah, well, I never had the money for one thing, so. Um, you know, yeah, that's where I'd like to go. I want to see the old country. I want to see the people that, you know, made me who I am. Yeah, that'd be, that would be an awesome trip for sure. Yeah. Uh, what's something you're afraid of? Spiders. Okay. Are you a, like, do you scream when you see Yes, them? I do. Like a girl. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my son is the spider killer in the house. I'm, I'm, that, that's, that's good. And uh, if, if, a spider comes when he's not here i just leave the house <laughs> i mean there's nothing to be ashamed of no not at all i don't like spiders <laughs> all right all right yeah yeah oh man all right last question what job other than one that you've had would you love to have um sublingual toilet cleaner um uh <laughs> Is that is that not a not a thing? I, I don't know. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> you know, it depends if you're if I'm if I'm if I'm trying to figure out if I want one better than my worst day at day at this job or <laughs> better than my best day at this job. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I, I you know it's hard, man. Uh, you know, growing up on the farm, it never leaves you. You know, and like I said, I didn't really miss the farm until I left. Obviously. Uh, you know, I'd love to be a farmer, um, something a little more peaceful than I, than I have now. I, I drive a truck, man. I, I don't know. I don't, that's, that is probably the toughest question of the 10. Wow. Seriously. Okay. All yeah. right. I, that's hard. That's hard. Sounds yeah. good. Well, yeah. Frank, I'm so glad you finally agreed to come on the show. Uh, it's, it's, well, thank you. You made me really happy, yeah. and it was—it's yeah. always—it's always so good to to be able to talk to you, and and I always know that whenever I'm talking with Frank, we're gonna laugh at some point, if not most of the time. So you know, you gotta laugh. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like you, I, you know, there was a, a Steve Martin quote. You know, he he said, you know, you have to laugh once a day because a day without sunshine is like night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you do. I mean. 
you got you got to laugh. You got to yeah. do it. You know, and and when when we get together, you know, Sarah, Mikey, whoever else. Oh my gosh, we we were crying. We were in tears, weren't we? Yeah, the, the last time, time we, we were. Yeah. 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 But it felt so good. Felt oh so good. Well, Frank, th thanks so much. Uh, I hope that some, you know the audience gets something out of this whole conversation. That's a heavy conversation to have about yeah. you know the mental health issues in America right now. But I mean, you've you've shed some light, I'm sure, for a lot of people here to just step back and think about a lot of the stuff that we talked about tonight. I know I will after this conversation's over too. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Thank you for doing the work that you do because it's not easy. And it's a thankless job, I think, too, uh, yeah. by most people in our society. So from at least from me, thanks so much, Frank. And uh, uh, I can't wait to talk again. Until next time, uh, take care of yourself, my friend. Thanks. You too, brother. Love you. Yep, love you too. Thank you for listening to Doug's Front Porch, a conversational podcast with your host, Doug Maidenford. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Five stars only, please. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Doug's Front Porch. Also, please feel free to tell all of your friends about the show, and I'll see you all next time on My Front Porch.